This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Mike Stoller. Today, you're going to learn all about the world of hotel investing. Mike is a veteran real estate investor who got started in 1999, made some mistakes with single families, moved up to multifamilies, built a ton of wealth in multifamily, but decided to switch over to hotel investing in 2017 and has not looked back. He's done some very big, inspiring things, owns a bunch of hotels, including a deal that he just closed in Barcelona. Yes, that's Barcelona, Spain. So now he gets to take a tax-deductible vacation to Spain once a quarter. Pretty incredible stuff. We're digging into things that drive revenues in hotels, the importance of franchises, how much of an effect the actual building form factor and shape has on how much revenue the property can bring in, the importance of keeping your employees happy, and so much more. A lot of important lessons from COVID in here as well, what it takes to remain creative as a real estate and hotel investor to keep revenue coming in the door. So many great lessons. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about partnering with us in a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Once again, our guest today is Mike Stoller. We're digging into the exciting world of hotel investing. So much knowledge in here. Let's go. Mike, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey of transitioning from multifamily to hotel investing. But first, let's rewind the clock, learn about how you got started in real estate investing back in 1999. Tell us how you got started. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, came from, I come from a small town in Indiana and knew that I could either work factory jobs or, or farm. Didn't want any of those two. So uh, as all of your probably many year investors, I, I read the Kiyosaki book and I was like, oh, this is it. It's real estate. Well, in 97, I called that the, the pre-Google days. I couldn't, there was no podcast. There's no Google. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, Google how to be a landlord. Uh, the, the buying was easy. So I, I bought some single family and then I was like, okay, now what? Uh, are there forms? Are there leases? What happens when people don't pay? Anyway, it really quick, I failed miserably um, and took some time off. And uh, it was several years after that that I got the courage up to get back into it. And to give you some history, uh, I'm a military, Navy. I was an airline pilot. And so what happened is after I failed and then I became an airline pilot, flew, and I was like, well, what am I going to do with my money? So that's when I got back into it and uh, hired the property manager group. And it then it snowballed from there. You know, it, we moved to uh, Arizona, bought a fourplex, and the fourplex turned into a seven, to a nine, to a twenty-eight, to a fifty, then to a hundred, and then a couple. You know, and it just snowballed. And uh, then I eventually got into hotels. Wow. Okay. So, how many units did you have of multifamily when you decided to make the switch over to the hotels? 
Yeah, uh, great question. I had uh, owned and managed about 1,400 units. And then what happened was I started getting out of the blue, and this was probably 2016, where uh, people just started calling me up, cold calling, and saying that they wanted to give me heard of money for my multifamily. There are California buyers and, you know, that wanted, hey, they didn't care, two cap, three cap, just give me a lot of multifamily. And I was like, wow. Uh, so I sold uh, uh, over 100 units, maybe close to 200 units to this one group out of Idaho on an exchange. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do with this money? You know, I'd, I'd already 1030'd won my butt off all these years. And that's when I uh, did some creative stuff and got into hotels because I, I didn't want that four cap, that three cap, because uh, I was I was used to buying multifamily at, at eight and nine caps back in the day. Yeah, we had seen quite a bit of cap rate compression and that continued beyond the time when you started to make that switch away from multifamily. So doing that first hotel deal, what did you look for? What criteria did you use? And like, how did you feel confident going into that deal? Because a hotel is a completely different business. It's an operating business with a big staff and you got to clean all the rooms and all the other things. There's a lot of complexity yeah. to it and you still push forward. I did. So one of the things I can tell you listeners that are getting ready maybe to switch an asset class is get a mentor, get an advisor, get a business partner that knows what they're doing. And you're right. I had no idea what I was doing with hotels. So I, there was this guy that I knew through networking, had about 25 years experience in hotels. And I told him, I said, look, I want you to find me a hotel. You're going to teach me all the criteria, what you're doing, what you're looking for. I'm going to be your mentee. And I want you to then to manage it for me, operate it for me, because I don't know what I'm doing. I'll supply all the money, and I'll give you a cut on the back end, okay, to make it worthwhile for him to put up with my Q&A. And it worked. And uh, we are we just now, we, that was in 2017, we bought a property for a little under $5 million, And we just put it under contract for a little less than nine. Nice. So it okay. it worked out, and we cash flowed every month since then, you know, for all those years. And uh, that's how I got into it. It's You cannot go from single-family, it's, it's easier when it's just rentals, but you're right. Hotels, it, it's a small business. It is a business, and you really need to partner up with someone who knows what they're doing in order to be successful. So let's talk about some of those big lessons learned that you had. I would imagine... There's staffing, you know, keeping people in the place just to make sure the rooms are cleaned and service and everything like that. But there's probably quite a bit more to it. So what sticks out to you as some of those early lessons learned from that first deal with your mentor? Yeah, you know, it's great questions. Number one is just the fact that you're now dealing with the franchise. Uh, that hotel is a choice hotel. It's a quality inn. And now it's I can't just do things. You have pips you have quality control you have you have to do what they say every four years they say hey you need to change out this i'm like there's nothing wrong with what i'm what we have well we're going to another generation whatever and it has to look good and i'm like 
but there's nothing wrong. You know, they're like, oh, don't care. If you don't do it, we'll fine you. You know, so it's, so that was a big lesson. Uh, and the other one is, holy crap, now I have 18 employees at this hotel, um, keeping them happy. Because, you know, what's funny is your multifamily people can relate to this. After so many years in multifamily, you start hating people. <laughs> you start hating tenants. <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden I have 18 employees. And I'm like, going, okay, I have to switch gears. I can't hate them. I can't, you know, they're not my tenants. They're not flushing things down the toilet that they shouldn't. You know, it's all those things that we have to deal with multifamily. But just dealing with that, keeping them happy, uh, and then just now we're marketing. Now we're revenue controls. Now it's marketing. Uh, now it's a small business. Now you, you have, it's just all the different things that go into um, it, it is a business that sits on real estate. And that's how the government looks at it. And it. It's not just real estate. So it's just dealing with all that. The great thing is all the depreciations and doing, you know, cost segregations and things like that, that my God, you know, just saved us so many millions of dollars throughout the years and with the hotels doing cost segregation was great. Probably a lot of things that you can depreciate very quickly and either pass that to your investors, take the depreciation yourself, however you're, you're distributing it. So mm -hmm. let's talk about analyzing deals and uh, approaching a business plan. So in the multifamily space, my primary investment model is value add. Now, I understand you're not a multifamily investor, but we look for upside in the deals. Are you approaching that in a similar way where you're buying an underperforming asset, looking to raise mm -hmm. the rents, improve the operations, or is there some other model? Yeah, it's a great question. You do look, you know, that is my background, multifamily. So you do look at value add. I look at uh, someone that was mom and pop, you know, they, they ran it as a, as a kind of a family. They didn't have property management. They didn't utilize all the things necessary. They took their salaries. They grew it at one or two percent, but they were happy. That's all they needed to do. So I could come in, put in all of my, with my people, the revenue management, the marketing, um, the, the analytics, and really drive, you know, and basically in, in hotels, you can do the PIP, which is your, your performance improvements, and make it a nicer hotel. There's not much we you can do. It's kind of like with multifamily. There's not much you can do with market rent because it's if it's $100 a night quality in, it's going to be the price the same as, as the Marriott and the Hilton. You know, so there's not much you can do. Um, we do look at that, and then we look at who their vendors are. Something that's very different in the hotel space is we have a lot of vendors. We we spend a lot of money in you know breakfast food, uh, maintenance supplies, just toilet stuff. I mean, just all that different office stuff. And we can use the fact that we have several hotels. We can um, get better pricing, and then if we bring in a, uh, a property management group, they may have 20 different properties, 25, and you get that cost-effective, um, um, you know, where you can buy in bulk. So we look at how we can look at, do their vendors and save money. So it's kind of the same way, but then sometimes we'll sit there and, and uh, switch the franchise uh, to better suit that market. You know, it's been a quality in for 20 years. Let's go in and, and make it something else. Uh, to drive up an ADR, which is your average daily rate, and, and uh, get get better revenue. Because, you know, there's one, I, I, I bought a Radisson and 
transferred it into a, a Wyndham Wingate, and it's $30, $35 a night more per night just because of the switch. So those are some of the other things. And then how can we utilize that marketplace and whether it's on a highway, just kind of do better marketing. Okay, so that's interesting how much the franchise can drive the average daily rate. I always have in my mind a, a picture, various pictures of different hotels where you have kind of the, you know, you could think of a, a Marriott or like a, I want of a better term, like a tower type of hotel. Then you have more the motel style where the, you know, every room has its door outside and you can see, you know, the bay window or, or what have you. How much does that style of the building drive the average daily rate, especially compared to the franchise side of that? Like, is the style of the building a bigger driver or the franchise a bigger driver? The franchise is a bigger driver. It's kind of like Chevy and Ford and trucks. Um, Chevy's price, Ford's price, you have your people that are just brand central, brand centric, and they're going to drive buy a Chevy, whether it's $5,000 more than the Ford, they're still going to get the Chevy. Uh, it's the same thing with Marriott Wyndham. You have all these different things. You know, Wyndham, we switched over. They have a 100 million rewards members. That means I have 100 million potential customers. And it doesn't matter if there's a, a choice or a Radisson right next to me. They're going to Google or go on website and they're going to book with me no matter what. So that, that's how good the franchise drives you. But if it's a Wingate by Wyndham and you travel around the nation, you want it to look like a Wingate. You want it to look very similar to each other. So that's why they make us um, get everything you know, going, everything looking nice, and, and replace everything three to five years. The other thing with like the outside rooms, well, if you go down to Florida, you go down to the, the, the country, you're going to see more of these outdoor motel type of hotels. Uh, that's just, so it's, it's regional. Now, if you're inside the city, inside Phoenix or, or Chicago, the, you're not going to see very many of the, the outdoor ones because those are the, like the real old from the 50s and 60s. You're going to want to see in a really nice, it, it seems like it's safer. Uh, that is an interior corridor. Um, but it's it's all about the brand and, and how it looks. Uh, we're, the, the hotel that we have in Barcelona that we're getting ready to close on, it's going to be an independent boutique. And that's the only way that you can do an independent, really in, uh, for independent survivors, if you're in a, like a uh, travel destination, if you're in Sedona, Arizona, if, if you're in these type of resort type different uh vacation spots then you can do the independence because that's what people want you go to sedona arizona and you want a very small boutique that is non-brand centric because you want to be um, part of that system you want you want that it to look southwestern and not like a cookie cutter marriott uh, so that's where the independents really work out but other than that if you're inside of the city and, and along a highway it's all about franchise interesting okay so I would be remiss if we didn't touch on short-term rentals and your feeling about that industry as a hotel owner, hotel investor. I mean, obviously the regulatory bodies are much more on your side in most markets, but what is your stance on short-term rentals as a hotel owner and also as a 
I hate to say it in general, a better investment, but what's better for creating wealth? I imagine we know your answer, but you know, let's dig into that a bit. Yeah, great questions. It's, it's one of the most popular questions I get. The Airbnbs are also in kind of uh, your resort destinations. You get a lot in Scottsdale and Phoenix and, and the different, you're not going to see them. Air, uh, but if it's a golfing destination type of place, you're going to see a lot of Airbnb. The hotels that we buy uh, most most of the time are what's called limited service hotels. That's where it's long it's along the highway. You're coming from Texas to LA, for instance, along I-10. You don't want to get into the city. All you want is a good bed, free internet, free breakfast, and then you're gone. That's what we usually deal with. It's it's limited service. There's no conference areas. There's no resort. The Airbnbs, and and we deal with more like the business type of person. We have hotels in the business parks. If you're sending five people, men and women, on a business trip, you're not going to put them in an Airbnb. That's trouble. That's an HR nightmare. <laughs> um, you know, and it's true. it's true. You know, you're just not going to do that. They're going, they're going to be put. They're going to go into my type of hotel. You're not going to put them in a resort where there's um, five different bars and, and all the swimming pools and the cabanas. You're going to put them in a a very nice limited service or full service type of a hotel. If you're uh, four four or five buddies and you're going to Scottsdale or Phoenix to golf, you're going to stay in an Airbnb because now you can share. The house, you can barbecue, you can stock the fridge, you know, if you're a large family. Uh, Airbnbs compete more with, like, the resorts on, on the day-to-day -day basis. They don't really compete with my type of a hotel. Um, as far as money, it's kind of like multifamily. What makes more money? Maybe cash on cash, you can do a single-family house. might make 15%. But if you can bulk it up and you have 50 to 100 multifamily rooms, keys um the cost of scales you're going to make more money on a, a hundred unit multifamily complex it's the same with airbnb you can make especially with the cost of housing and the cost of uh, interest rates on the residential side the, the airbnbs the what you can charge per day and what your mortgage payment is it's, it's starting to tip a little bit because the interest rates are going up higher and the regulations um where I can, with my 100-room uh, hotel, I can change the, the rates four times a day, uh, every day. And if something comes in, it's not, well, let's hope um, the Super Bowl's coming in. Let's see if I can charge four or $500 a night at the Airbnb. Well, I can do that at a hotel because there's a lot less, there's actually a lot less hotel rooms than there are Airbnb rooms now in a lot of uh, demographics. So the, the, the hotels are just... And I can turn I can turn a room in, in twenty minutes and get it ready. You know where you have to hire someone to come in. It takes them all day to you know three or four hours to to clean. So I like the hotels. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So you started in hotels before COVID, and now we're mm -hmm. you know well past it. I imagine there were some pretty big lessons that were learned throughout all that, whether it's staffing or keeping places occupied and you know everything yes. along those lines. So, you know, what was your experience being a hotel owner through COVID? I am a much, I had hair prior to COVID. No, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, 
I become, here's the thing is when you're fat and happy living on the hog, you don't learn anything. You just learn how to cash the check. When you're down, I bought a hotel in November of 2019. What happened four months later? Wow. We went down to 8% occupancy. And at that point, the banks were saying, ah, it's too early. This is just the flu. When it's 115 degrees out, uh, this COVID thing will just go away. And I'm like, it's not going to go away. I don't think it is. Uh, I'm not paying anymore, you know, the mortgage because I don't have anyone in my hotels. But what it does is it allows you to, it forces you to think out of the box. And I think I'm much better general partner, um, owner of a hotel because of COVID than I was prior because you batten down the hatches and you think, how can I make money? What is going on? What are the other things that's going on that I can take advantage of? Number one, all of the um, co-ed, co-op type of workspaces all closed down. Your industrious, your all your regis, they all closed down. And what happens, everyone now is working from home. And none of these people, very few of these people were set up. You know, they're, they're working from their kitchen table. They had three kids, small kids that weren't able to go to school. Um, the wife that she did work, she's now at home. So everyone's at home and he's, and he or she are trying to work at the kitchen table on calls. And it was just driving them nuts. So I was like going, hey, you know what? For 50 bucks a day, come to my hotel room, free coffee, free shower, it's on a desk, free internet. You can take a shower if you want. I don't care. Just give me 50 bucks. Um, you do that. And all of a sudden, it's just we started getting people. It's like going, hell yeah, for 50 bucks, I'll do it. Uh, then we just did other type of marketing things. California completely closed down. You couldn't even play outside in the parks. You know, I couldn't believe it. So you have these soccer teams that were travel teams. They weren't even allowed to play outside. So we called them up, all these different things, used a marketing firm, said, hey, Arizona, man, we're open. You know, come over, come out to, to Arizona. And so we started getting travel teams. There's, there's this one travel, this group, there's four teams in San Diego. They were all within like a five-mile radius. They all traveled to Arizona to play for the weekend and then drove back. So I was like, that's probably the only time in my life that I've ever thanked California for anything. Um, but <laughs> um, but thank God they closed down because I was able to take advantage of it. And 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 thank God that all of my hotels were in uh, what I consider free states. Uh, and that's something that I really learned is, you know, if prior, I would have bought hotels anywhere. COVID taught me, it's like, you know, I, I there are some now business and state and local government type of things going on where I really have to be careful. Do I want to buy a hotel in a state that in a blink of an eye will just force me to shut down because of whatever? Uh, do I want to put my investors at risk? Do I want to do that? Or do, do I just want to stay in a state that gives me the choice whether or not I want to shut down? And it was, it was very easy for me you know because i i am probably still alive today as a hotelier because my hotels were in what i call the free states i had the choice i was able to think outside the box in order to keep the hotels open and do whatever it took i wasn't forced to shut down interesting creative solutions to that cash flow problem that 
you know, nobody really saw coming in the first place, but good lessons there. Before we move to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, what is, in your mind, the biggest misconception out there about being a hotel owner, hotel investor? Yeah, good question. It's funny. I never thought about this, but there's a lot of people that go, wow, I didn't know people could own hotels. They thought they were. it was Wall Street. They thought it was big REITs. They thought it was... Um, so I'm like going, well, no, there's a lot of people that can do it. Um, the other, the misconception is, well, multifamily makes more money. Well, if you're able to put lipstick on and flip it, you can, and you can speculate and you can do that. You can make a lot of money in multifamily. You can still make money in multifamily, different, different, uh, regions. Um, and I just had someone on my podcast that, I guess cap rates are starting to go back up, so it's a little bit easier. You know, it, the uh, family's starting to, to cash flow long term. But with hotels, what people don't realize is I'm changing my so-called rent four times a day. Uh, I'm driving market based on franchises, uh, you know, the uh, the rewards points and all that sort of stuff. And people don't realize that once you get into it, it's a long term. These are 70, 7 to 10-year uh, patient capital investments. It's not something that I'm going to buy a hotel as a business and flip it in a year. That that doesn't happen that often. So that's another misconception is that I'm just going to buy a day's in, fix it up, and sell it. And it's like, yeah, takes a little bit longer. You can't just put homeless people up and and you know and jack up the rents and and put you know new paint on it. it it's a whole new thing. And the other thing is people don't realize is you actually have to qualify with the franchise people think oh i'm just going to buy quality in you know i've had 1500 multi-unit family units i'm just going to go buy a a marriott they won't give it to you they don't want any yahoo owning a marriott and running into the ground and and tarnishing their name you have to have experience interesting okay so a lot of great insights there A lot of great lessons about hotel investing today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Did you know that you can use your IRA to invest in real estate? Many real estate investors, myself included, use our self-directed retirement accounts to invest our retirement in real estate. You just need a custodian that allows you to self-direct your investments. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Dollar. Rocket Dollar is a technology-enabled self-directed IRA, and solo 401k provider that puts your retirement funds in your control. Our listeners can open a Rocket Dollar self-directed IRA for as little as $15 per month, plus a one-time setup fee. Just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com rocket or click the link in the show notes. They have a fantastic knowledge base and a lot of guides to help you through the process and teach you all about how self-directed retirement account investing works. Once again, just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash rocket or click the link in the show notes. All right, Mike, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best deal or the best investment you ever made other than in your education? (laughs) Sure. Uh, I started making good money right after the, the, the Great uh, Depression or Recession, whatever you want to call it, 2008, 2009. I got back into it very heavily 
by utilizing uh, the, the commercial the multifamily because in 2000 2007 they're really priced high and, and you had people that were over leveraged and all of a sudden their five-year loan came due and it was around 2012 and even though they're 100 percent occupied they couldn't refinance or get a new loan because number one they weren't giving any money back out and number two their million dollar asset was now only worth six hundred thousand so they needed to come up with four hundred thousand or you know maybe it was eight hundred thousand and if they didn't leverage or if they didn't keep the money that was bad so the best thing that i did was i started doing seller financing and what i did is and, and took over kind of assumption of their loans he said, for three years, this asset's mine. I'm going to pay it off. But you owe 200000 I'm going to pay that. I'm going to get you back up. And we're going to refi it. for. You're going to refi it for six because you know them. I'll pay that $200,000 from what it's worth and what, it's, what they're going to give you. And then I'm just going to pay you, pay your mortgage off for three years until this is all over. And then I'm going to buy you out. So that, those are my best deals because I, I didn't I, I didn't have to I had no debt. Nice, nice. Okay, so capitalizing on that opportunity from folks that had gotten over leveraged, their property had fallen in value, and you were there ready with cash mm -hmm. due to do a uh, creative deal. So we had the best. Every best has a worst. Now we go to question number two. What is the worst deal you've ever done or the worst investment you ever made? Boy, uh, it, it, this was another seller financing. And it, it's when you're just buying, you're just buying, you're just buying. And I, 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 got, I got lazy in my due diligence. And there's this really good, I think it was a 28 unit that came up. Ended up doing seller financing. Great. 100% occupied. Well, the first day... As a new owner, this guy comes up and he goes, I just want to introduce myself. I'm the real king of this property. And I'm like, oh, good. All right. You know, what am I getting myself into? Uh, I ended up having to evict 20 of the 28 people because wow. the guy was so desperate to get people that he had drug people. The, the needles. the, And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm going to have to carry a gun every day. Um it was just a horrible, it, it took me four years to get that thing turned around, just a 28 unit, uh, to the point where I could, I could resell it. But I was like, wow, okay, that's what you get for not paying attention. Wow. Yeah. Doing that due diligence and knowing what you're getting into, having to evict that many people is a, is a big deal from making your debt mm -hmm. payment, having cash flow coming in is a big problem for the listeners out there. So, wow, it's a big one. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Two things, real quick. Number one, get mentors. You're not rich enough, you're not big enough to ever not need a mentor or a business coach in this industry. Uh, I make a lot of money. I still have guys that, that I mentor with and people that I'm the mentee. Number two, what is your why? Why do you want to get into real estate investing? Don't ever say it's because of the money. Money will come. But what is your true why? For me, it was I wanted to build a life that I didn't need a vacation from. And as you can see, I, I'm in a log beautiful log cabin. I, I can work anywhere in the world now. 
uh, do my business. I'm up in a beautiful place. Build a life that you don't need to vacation for, and that's that's what I have. That's awesome. I love that. But now that you've reached that point, what is your why now? You created that life, so why not make it even more of a vacation by just living on cash flow, enjoying yeah. your wealth, and you know, riding this thing out? Yeah, you know, the great thing about real estate investing is that you never have to retire, right? I can be 80 years old and just go to a board meeting once a month. And you don't have to worry about that golden parachute. You don't have to, you know, that is, that, that is the truth. Uh, I guess it becomes a hustle. It becomes, you know, I, I just bought this place. I'm closing on it next month, this place in Barcelona. And now it's like going, now I, I always love taking European vacations, but now it's, I can deduct it. It's a tax. It's a business write-off. So I get to go to Barcelona once a quarter, and I get to write it off. So you know, it now it becomes: what can I do? How can I do things? Um, I need a hotel in Florida so I can go visit there for free, you know, and write it off. I need so it becomes more of a. It's fun. It, it's it's keeping me busy uh, because we are all Type A personalities. I, I, I'm too young just to write it out. I can only play golf so much. Um, so it's just loving, loving what you do about the pursuit. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge and experience. If folks want to reach out or get in touch or find you on the internet, where can they track you down? Our yeah, website is, uh, uh, gateway PE is in private equity, gatewayPE.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at, uh, Mike Stoller. And uh, I have a podcast of my own. It's called TheRicherGeek.com. The Richer Geek Podcast. Because we're all geeks. We want to get richer. So might as well be a richer geek. I love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. Don't forget to subscribe Excuse me, and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one.